Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast, a space for those who are healing from complex and developmental trauma. Introducing your host, Monique Coven, a certified trauma recovery coach, survivor, and thriver. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information with insight that can validate, encourage, and support you on your healing journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors and trauma experts, featuring therapists, coaches, and practitioners. We will open up the conversation on effective trauma healing modalities, practices, and tools. If you are interested in trauma recovery coaching, as well as recommended books and healing resources, head over to www.thehealingtraumapodcast.com. And now, here is your host, Monique Coven. Welcome back, everyone. So before I introduce our guest today, I just wanted to say something about somatic healing. And so on this podcast, I try to bring in stuff that's going to be helpful for you on your healing journey, different modalities that can be useful, that can support you on your healing journey. And I love somatic work because I think for those of us who have been on this journey for a long time, the emphasis in the past has been very much on the thinking part of the brain and on resolving trauma. If we could just think our way through it, if we could have more clarity and more understanding, we could sort of reframe what happened. If we could just talk about it, we could make peace with it. But what we found was that didn't help our bodily responses. We still felt like we were, in a sense, still in the trauma, even though we had talked about it, we had talked until we were perhaps, you know, re-traumatizing ourselves at times without any changes. Somatic work helps us to, to work on what is going on in the body. And I've heard people say in the past, trauma gets stuck in the body. And I used to think, what the heck does that mean? And so we're going to explore a little bit of that today. But trauma shows up in our body, often in terms of our patterns, our bodily defenses, the hypervigilance that was often learned very young through repetitive experiences or traumatic experiences. And one of the ways that that can be resolved or at least softened is through somatic work and somatic healing. So today's guest I've invited is Joshua Silvey. And Joshua has been involved in the field of somatic since 2003. His study of nervous system regulation has incorporated inquiry into many fields, including ecology, philosophy, neurobiology. He holds an MA in clinical psychology with an emphasis on somatic psychology, a PhD in higher learning and social change, and he's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Joshua's clinical practice is grounded in somatic experiencing, and he also integrates psychodynamic perspectives, mindfulness approaches, a systemic orientation. He's a faculty member at the Somatic Experiencing 
Trauma Institute, leading the somatic experiencing professional training in locations around the world. He's also legacy faculty for Peter Levine's Ergos Institute for Somatic Education. So we're in really good hands here, and I try to ask him questions that would help you understand a little bit more about somatic experiencing, because I know many people have questions like, what is it? And how does it work? And how do we resolve trauma? And what do, what do you mean when you say completion? I remember that used to be a big question because I would hear, you know, we need to resolve the trauma or complete the trauma. And I just wasn't hearing enough about what does that mean? So I asked him that question for you. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I certainly did. Hi, Joshua. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Monique. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to talk to you about somatic experiencing. It's a very popular, it seems to have exploded uh, lately. Everybody seems to know about somatic experiencing and how it can be so helpful with healing trauma, but not everybody. And so that's why I wanted you to come on here so that I could ask you some questions about why somatic experiencing in particular, but also somatic therapies. Why are they such an important part of healing trauma? Yeah. Shall I just go with that? Yeah, that would be okay. great. Uh, so I know that we have, uh, you know, just half hour, uh, 40 minutes or so. And uh, sometimes I'll joke that uh, it's, uh, it's harder to try to talk about this in a limited time uh, format than it is to be able to, you know, really uh, have the time that I do with the three-year uh, SE professional training. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, it, as, you, as we've discussed uh, before we started our interview, it's a fairly complex body of work. And, um, and so I'll just be able to maybe touch on some, some pieces. One of the things that I think about in terms of somatic processes, somatic experiencing in particular, is that we integrate bottom-up processing into our approach. There are many uh, uh, approaches to health and wellness and healing that focus on more of a top-down inhibitory strategy. So we could take cognitive behavioral therapy, for instance, which is recently as 10 years ago, the American Psychiatric Association was saying was the only empirically supported treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. It, though it can be very helpful to develop these top-down, often cognitively based or behavioral uh, interventions to try to keep our nervous system from being too dysregulated, what we think is that it's more key in terms of the long-term resolution of traumatic impacts to also integrate bottom-up processing. So we're, we're inviting both in terms of our body and our mind, you know, the bottom-up of the body's information, the body's knowing coming into awareness, being a part of our process. And then also, I think in terms of the brain structure itself, looking at how important and how central the brainstem is 
for our experiencing and for creating, you know, the, the platform on which all of our thinking and our feeling and our behavior rests. So if the, if the brainstem and the brainstem and communication with the rest of the body is disorganized, we're pretty limited in terms of what we can think, what we can feel, how we can behave. And for sure, there's, there's strategies we can employ, techniques, things that we can do to try to intentionally shift what's happening in terms of our thinking and all of that. But as Bessel van der Kolk said, uh, you know, Bessel is, of course, one of the leading lights in traumatology, and he can be kind of a cheeky guy sometimes, you know, just likes to say it and get it out there. Uh, he said, if you're using cognitive behavioral therapy to treat trauma, you're treating the wrong part of the brain. You know, there's the, the, the traumatic impact isn't stored in our neocortex, in that part of our brain that's involved in our complex strategic thinking and decision making it's in the brainstem you know it's in these more primitive brain areas that get disorganized and so i really think that having interventions that target that level of our processing are going to be really key so the somatic interventions the uh, sensory motor processing you know really attending to the body and the movements that it makes the ways that it expresses itself in terms of posture and gesture, uh, you know, facial expressions, all of this is so key for understanding the dynamics of trauma, you know, because we, it, I think it's true that we can't just think our way out of trauma. You know, we, we really do have to incorporate this, this bodily process, this brainstem process. So with somatic experiencing, uh, you know, it's kind of all right there in the name, you know, somatic means related to the body and, um, and experiencing reflects present tense here and now uh, attention, you know, so in a way, this is a kind of a mindfulness process where we're training attention to be in the here and now and aware of what's happening in terms of our body experience, as well as our thoughts and our emotions and mental uh, images that might come through. But we really try to welcome all of that in and create a cohesive, coherent process that is helpful for transforming traumatic impacts and often leading people towards uh, post-traumatic growth, you know, or experiences that transmute trauma into, uh, you know, a fuller becoming. Can you talk a bit about the brainstem? So you said that it gets disorganized. Can you elaborate a bit on that? When trauma happens, what, what's going on in the brainstem? Well, the brainstem controls uh, the autonomic nervous system, right? So in somatic experiencing and other somatic therapies, we'll look a lot at this part of our nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. So it's, it's a different branch of nervous system processing than the central nervous system, you know, brain and spinal cord. The autonomic nervous system is traveling throughout the body, contacting all of our organs and glands and creates for us a baseline level of arousal. And when our autonomic nervous system is regulated, when the brainstem is sending out the right signals and the, the, the afferent pathways are 
getting you know information about bodily state back to the brain in a in a coherent way then our our organism is designed to give us the optimal level of arousal to thrive in whatever our current environment is so if our nervous system is regulated it's going to be able to upregulate when i want to go play basketball or engage in some game with my kids and then it's going to downregulate when I'm having a quiet interaction with somebody I care about. And then it's going to go into even lower uh, levels of arousal when I'm trying to fall off to sleep or I'm sitting down on the meditation cushion. And so regulation for me is really all about behavioral flexibility. You know, having this nervous system that supports me to really do well in whatever my current environment is because my arousal is congruent with that. Uh, when our nervous system gets dysregulated though, it's gonna fail to do that. And that's what I mean by that disorganization where brainstem and, uh, and autonomic nervous system are not coordinated in a way where we're in that optimal arousal level. And the autonomic nervous system, you know, the early anatomists called it autonomic um, because they saw how it was in some ways autonomous. You know, we, we can use thoughts, use attentional processes to shift autonomic variables. So if I'm starting to feel stressed, I can take a breath and I can remind myself everything's going to be fine. And that might temporarily bring down my activation. You know, we've all felt that delicious sense of relief when we're, you know, getting stressed out about some inconsequential thing and we remind ourselves like, okay, this isn't a big deal. And then we kind of go, okay, feels better. But what you might then experience is as your attention shifts to other things, that activation starts to creep back up. And then there we are five minutes later, be, you know, can, you know, in the on the hamster wheel, uh, in relation to that thing, and being like, "Ah, oh, I got stressed out about it again. Darn it! It's not a big deal." <sighs> and then we kind of, you know, settle again. But then it starts to build back up. Uh, and um, you know, that's the 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 way that this autonomic nervous system is autonomous can result in like lifelong dysregulation where you know, as a result of a traumatic birth or uh, developmental challenges or traumatic experiences in early life or later, we, uh, we start to exist within this dysregulation. And our nervous system is either functioning with uh, you know, the, the sympathetic branch of the autonomic, the excitatory branch on all the time so I feel stressed and maybe that gets called this mood disorder of anxiety. But what's really going on is the, the you know, our organs and glands are functioning in a more intense way, conveying to us this sense of like, I feel stressed. Or sometimes a part of the parasympathetic nervous system comes on and then we're just shut down. We're, we're in some kind of collapse and, uh, and, you know, that may get labeled as a mood disorder called depression, but on this more fundamental biological level, it's this shutdown of the autonomic nervous system and brainstem sending out signals that keep us in a state of, of, uh, 
what's called energy conservation in in biology. So yeah, the the you know we we want we want everything to be integrated. You know we want our uh, ideally I believe we want our neocortex to be parsing information and thinking through our experience in ways that support us to you know be in that optimal arousal state. We want the limbic system, the emotional part of the brain, to be you know experience you know delivering to us a sense of emotion that allows us to integrate our experience, you know, whatever it is. And then we want that brainstem to be, you know, feeding back to the body and taking in information from the body in a way that has our heart rate and our blood pressure and our respiration in that uh, optimal arousal zone for our given experience. Right. And most trauma survivors, like you were saying um, about the activation, sympathetic, or the dorsal or the like shutdown um, from the repeated experiences. So I was thinking about what about those people who have had from early on developmental trauma where they were in experiences where their bodies went into <gasps> overwhelm and all, you know, and over and over and over and over again, how are they able to heal or begin to see some changes or more flexibility in their nervous system so that they, yeah, so that it could respond a little bit more flexible. How would, how would that work with somatic experiencing? Well, we do use particular interventions to try to support this more bottom-up shift. Uh, we're going to be inviting people to come into uh, connection with the environment through the senses. One of our primary interventions uh, in the beginning in terms of treating dysregulation might be to really try to bring attention out into the external environment. So whereas many people come to see me as a mental health professional, expecting that our process is really gonna focus on developing greater insight, I might think that the first step is instead to develop more outsight you know, to really begin to use our visual sense, our auditory sense, our tactile sense to connect to the environment and to begin to see what is actually around me. That really does seem to be stabilizing for the kind of animal that we are. And, uh, and so that's certainly something that, that targets uh, in that bottom-up way the autonomic nervous system. Uh, the, we will also begin to work with the patterns of attention when we are noticing our experience. So there's the external focus. And then as we go in towards our, our attention to our internal process, whether it is sensations in the body, thoughts, feelings, whatever it is, we're going to, in somatic experiencing, look for pendulation. So this is a term that Peter coined that has become uh, fairly well disseminated, you know, in the in the uh, healing in different healing approaches, especially in somatics. And the idea with pendulation is that our attention needs to be able to relatively easily move back and forth between what Peter called the trauma vortex and the counter vortex. So there are these poles that draw our attention towards uh, towards them. 
And, you know, we could simplify this perhaps just in thinking about them as things that I don't like and things that I do like. There are experiences that we have of challenge and experiences that we have of something more towards pleasure, more towards comfort, more towards ease. And though it's not well understood uh, in, the, in the general population, for healing trauma, it's really important to be able to move back and forth between those. And so one of our initial, uh, initial points of emphasis in this SE process is to help people develop the capacity to attend to uh, healthy, non-addictive uh, pleasure. You know, things that, things that actually feel good, that give me a sense of wholeness or of ease. Uh, rather than, you know, diving into the trauma vortex and doing this extensive cataloging of what feels bad and what's not working and, and you know, joining with people in for what many of many folks is there's, you know, already their superpower which is paying attention to my distressing thoughts, my painful emotions, and my uncomfortable sensations. We actually at first try to help people to become aware of those aspects of experience that are pleasant, you know, that, that give us a sense of, of ease and flow. So that, that also helps, helps the nervous system to, you know, both to be more regulated uh, and then also to uh, help us to move through and heal, you know, those traumatic experiences that we've that we've had. Uh, there's a, a whole host of other things, you know, that we talk about in our training. You know, different um, different aspects of the work that are key uh, for sure. You know, this paying attention to the body narrative and seeing, you know, when the body is giving us information about what is incomplete what might need to move through, um, you know, that's somewhere where we will come in and, and bring our focus, help the, help the organism to have a sense of being able to complete, to integrate experiences that previously had been too much for us. But yeah, you know, you really, you really kind of painted this compelling picture, you know, where, where my early experience has been one of chronic stress, we would think that it actually would in some ways be adaptive to be in a state of heightened arousal in a fairly continuous way. When, there, when, when, our, when our environment is unpredictable, when there are threats that we've seen can arise uh, you know, with regularity and, and uh, with, you know, in an unexpected way, to have a nervous system that is uh, already in some sense in self-protection, you know, again, whether that is the high sympathetic arousal of, you know, that we think of as stress, the kind of fight or flight response, or that shutdown response or freeze, you know, either of those might be more adaptive when we're in a chronically stressful environment. You know, so I, I like to think here about how we might need to broaden our understanding of trauma. You know, we've, we've inherited from the psychiatric establishment this notion that what post-traumatic stress is, is an event. You know, to qualify for the, for the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, you have to meet the A criterion. And the A criterion says that you have had exposure to an event that involved 
exposure to actual or threatened death, um, sexual violation or serious injury. You know, so you have to have experienced this catastrophic event to be to qualify, you know, for PTSD. That's been confusing for a lot of us trauma professionals who regularly see people who have the other symptoms of PTSD, but don't have that precipitating event. So I really think that uh, broadening our understanding of trauma, you know, really seeing it as the symptom of nervous system dysregulation rather than being associated with a particular event is key. Because I think our nervous system can get dysregulated in similar ways if we're experiencing chronic stress. You know, chronic stress due to developmental uh, uh, trauma, uh, chronic stress due to what we'll sometimes call social and historical trauma, you know, where the, the body that I am born into, the, the psyche that I, uh, that I have, my genetic inheritance is labeled by my culture as somehow less than. You know, the, the color of my skin, my sexual orientation, my gender identity, my disability status, you know, any of these things can cause us to move through the world with a chronic sense of not being valued. And, you know, as, as we know, our nervous system is really built for feeling safe by being engaged with others. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, a, we're, you know, I say it, uh, we're the most social animal on the planet. And in our, you know, in, in our evolutionary design, you know, we spent time with others in incredibly intimate circumstances. You know, so we, we really need that sense of being embedded within a coherent social group, I think, for our nervous system to function optimally. So it could be, you know, developmental uh, wounds, could be this, you know, this experience of, of social or historical trauma, mm -hmm. you know, it could be intergenerational impacts. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all kinds of different pathways, I think, to this nervous system dysregulation. And what's key is to be able to really support some kind of shift in terms of how the nervous system functions. Yeah, I... I I'm thinking about how when you were talking about just the impact of the dysregulation or living in chronic self-protection, when I think about the internal experience that I had after repeated over and over and over and over again, that overwhelm, no escape, and I would want to, let's say, verbalize it or explain what it is, there's no words. There's, you don't have, there's no vocabulary. And that's why it's almost like you're pointing to your physiology. The way I used to describe it as a young person was it feels like, like it's like blood's moving up and down my vein. I, I couldn't, I didn't have words, mm. but that, that's just it. It is a word, wordless experience. Mm -hmm. I think of that as one of the, one of the, uh, beautiful things about kids and this can be true if we have the the uh the honor of working with kids in a trauma healing approach they're not as likely to need to make up a story about things you know so 
when you were a kid, when I was a kid, and we were experiencing these these moments of of overwhelm, there there could be the capacity of describing those as physiological experiences. What we often encounter in adults is a need to tell a story about why that's happening. And this, I think, you know, if we're not if we're not integrating bottom-up approaches, if we're not paying attention to the body as a, a, a sensing instrument conveying important wordless information to us, we're in danger of spinning yarns to ourselves, sometimes for decades. You know, the, the reason I feel this way right now is this. And the reason I feel this way right now is that. And I have deduced that the danger or threat is actually this person or this town or this job. And we kind of go on this, this quest to figure out you know, what's going on. Um, while some of that, of course, is, is you know, crucially important and necessary, insight is key, you know, I think in, in SE, you know, we talk about the different channels of experience and how they all have their place. They're all valuable, all welcome. Uh, Peter has a, a model that he describes in his books as CYBAM. And the CYBAM stands for sensation, image, behavior, affect, which is just another word for emotion, and meaning, which is related to thoughts. And in our work, you know, we're, we're really thinking about how do we support an integrated experience of these different channels? How do we, how do we have our sensations, our thoughts, our emotions, images, all of that? How do we, how do we weave that, you know, into a coherent, integrated experience? Our thing is called somatic experiencing, but I don't myself think necessarily that the sensation channel, or as it's technically called interoception, is the healing agent, or is even necessarily uh, more important. You know, I think as, as we just said, you know, having insight is really key, you know, to be able to, to have a, a rich emotional life where I can process through what happens to me and, and discharge painful emotions and have access to an embodied experience of joy, you know, like, like that's also very important. But I think it's generally the case that it's the sensation channel, it's somatic experiencing, if you will, that is underrepresented in people's experience. And I, I will think of this sometimes as, as more than anything else, a cultural artifact. This is, especially in the modern Western world, but I think, you know, one could make an argument that uh, globally, you know, this might be more true than it was in the past. It's, we're a very disembodied culture. We have experienced this, this uh, Cartesian split, you know, we've entered into this dualism between mind and body and have begun to very much prioritize mental processing over direct, unmediated, embodied experiencing. And so we're, we're focusing on somatic experiencing, not because it's better, not because it's truer or in some way, you know, the, the ticket to liberation. Um, it's because I think it tends to be offline for a lot of people. 
know, I've, I've been teaching these courses in somatic experiencing for, for many years now. And at some point I adopted a practice of at some point in the training, I'll look out and I'll say, so who in this room, when you were a child, was regularly asked by your caregivers, what are you noticing in your body right now? And it's always crickets. I mean, it's, there's never a hand that goes up. It's just remarkable. And you know, I, I think that as you were kind of describing, when you were a child, there might have been this sense of like, you know, you were feeling that cortisol dump, you know, you were feeling that there was something happening in your embodied experience. But I'm gonna wager a guess that there weren't adults around who helped you to understand that and make sense of it and be able to write it through and then notice as it starts to deactivate and to practice orientation to your environment as a way to kind of work with the arousal. You know, it's like, that's just, the body is at best, you know, this, 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 the seat of our most, uh, 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 like antisocial impulses, you know, and, and all of these things that have been labeled as, as bad or sinful or, you know, and, and so we're all, I think, swimming upstream a little bit against this culture that has really pushed the body to the side and said, I don't think we can trust what's going on in terms of our tissues and our organs. And, and so we're kind of, I think, addressing some of that cultural uh, baggage with our somatic emphasis. I think one of the most common experiences and questions that survivors of trauma ask is why do I still feel stuck when the past is over? Feeling stuck and overwhelmed is a very common experience. You don't have to do this alone. If you're interested in trauma recovery coaching, you can visit my website at www.thehealingtraumapodcast.com Because trauma survivors have had to kind of uh, almost move upstairs because things were so scary and so uncomfortable, they started living in their head. I, I think it, it, the first place really to start is to help people to, to, to come back downstairs and, um, yeah, and get back in touch with the way that we were designed, which is fully mm -hmm. human. I used to mm -hmm. say it was like a head walking with legs. That's what I always used to say. Yeah. So coming back inside and, you know, looking for those little glimmers that we can feel. You were mentioning the things that bring us a little bit of pleasure. What does that feel like? Mm -hmm. Is is amazing. And, it, it, you know, often with my own clients, it's it's like we're re- learning what we missed out on mm -hmm. you know absolutely yeah. let's get fully human again yes. i love that yeah you i know, do too I, one of one of my favorite uh things about somatic experiencing is on the back cover of peter's first book waking the tiger he asks this question and i truly believe this was one of the most important questions that was asked in the 20th century you know he said why do animals in the wild, though threatened routinely, rarely become traumatized? A lot of Peter's early theorizing that became what we now call somatic experiencing was his study of the stress response and autonomic reactivity. 
and also his uh, deep dive into ethology, the study of animals. And so he would watch, you know, uh, and the, the stories are that he would, you know, somewhat obsessively catalog, you know, these different uh, nature videos and look at predator prey dynamics. And he got really clear, uh, and this is true that, you know, people who study animals in the wild almost never report anything that looks like trauma. You know, there's some isolated stuff, elephants, where poachers have taken their entire herd, you know, and they're suddenly left alone. Um, uh, uh, sometimes uh, particular like baboon troops develop really intense hierarchical rivalries and you'll see particular individuals seeming to kind of decompensate. But for the most part, trauma doesn't seem to be a part of the natural order. And I think that's really worth reflecting on, you know, that, that rather than some sort of thing that we should accept as a, I don't know, design flaw of the human organism, this propensity to trauma, I really think that we can start to see trauma again as a kind of cultural artifact that in part our disconnection from the body, our uh, discomfort with involuntary bodily processes, you know, like the, the shaking or crying or other uh, physiological processes that can discharge that arousal for us. Um, and, you know, our, our need to control things that I think we've gotten from, you know, this particular way of, of living that, you know, we call civilization. Um, I think that it's, it's those forces that are causing this propensity to a traumatic reaction. And so a lot of SE for me, you know, isn't, doesn't necessarily land as, <clears throat> oh, we've developed this whole new thing. It's more like we've figured out how to help people, as you say, get human again <laughs> and to shake off some of those, some of those accumulated uh, influences and be able to see that the body is actually designed for trauma healing. Now, Peter said that there's this, this intrinsic self-regulatory capacity within our organism and that is uh that is often missed you know so many approaches even somatic approaches will focus on the practitioner's intervention and see the trauma healing process as a strategic technique-based protocol-driven uh, uh process and you know though we will at times in se have particular techniques that are important and that will pull out at the appropriate times we're also really looking in a fundamental sense at how do we collaborate with the nervous system and with its, with its essential strengths, with its intrinsic self-regulatory capacity. So that's what, uh, you know, I, I just, I oftentimes feel like I just have to say, that's what really excites me about this whole thing, you know, is that we are involved in this larger process of, you know, recognizing how we might have gone off the path a little bit and what we need to bring in to to realign ourselves with this you know the, the beauty of the human organism and I'm also thinking though that trauma has been going on since the beginning of time you know um and yeah I don't know where we went wrong with 
not allowing us to, you know, do those responses that naturally happen. But that's what happened in society. We were told to stop it, cut it out, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, for, for whatever it's worth, uh, I think it's, it's maybe valuable to reflect on that phrase since the beginning of time. You know, our, our species has been around for over 200,000 years. You know, the, the particular kind of organism that we are. If we look at other uh, homo species, you know, we could lengthen that out to say that, you know, animals very much like us have been around for at least a million years. And, uh, and it's only the last 10,000 years that we have begun to exist in time. You know, everything before that was prehistory. And then now all of a sudden we have, we have history. And with that, you know, the, the adoption of these very different ways of living on the planet, very different ways of being, uh, you know, which are called collectively civilization, you know, and it's things like uh, living in the same place all year round. Uh, adopting agriculture and uh, you know animal husbandry and some of those processes I think are telling because it's it's a it's a way of interacting with the environment where we try to control all of the different variables and we kind of set ourselves up as the arbiter of which are the good plants and which are the bad plants and you know we get rid of the bad plants and then do everything we can to throw lots of support behind the good plants and we figure out which are the bad animals and which are the good animals and get those bad animals out of here and we'll put the good animals in our pens and take care of them. We'll, you know, create these structures where we try to keep the temperature constant, you know, so we're living in what I'll sometimes call the false tropics, you know, where it's just always a, a pleasant temperature. We're, we're consistently trying to alter the variables of the world around us to uh, to control nature, and I think that unfortunately, that tendency has resulted also in a in a uh, a movement to control our own nature. You know, where we're beginning not only in terms of the external world, but also our internal process to disallow things that feel like they're not under our direct control. And that's where we get ourselves into hot water, I think. And, and maybe that's a big part of why, you know, the, as we entered into time, as we entered into this way of life where we're, we're um, trying to uh, exert more and more and more control, uh, we became vulnerable to trauma. It's just a hypothesis, but it's something that I think has been useful for some of my clients to reflect on. And certainly, you know, learners in our programs, I think, can start to to develop some, some uh, greater understanding of how to work with individuals as we maybe also understand our collective plight in a way. Yeah. I have one burning question before we end. Uh, and I think it's, it's a really, I'm very curious about it for you to explain it. And that is, what do you mean when it comes to healing trauma? What, what would you say about completion, the completion mm. process. Mm. Can you maybe give us an example of someone or, or maybe just explain it? 
Yeah, um, we, we talk about the renegotiation of trauma in SE. And I, I always say the, um, the proof is in the pudding, as, as, as the phrase goes. Uh, I don't want to judge the efficacy of my work with people on what happens in the session. Sometimes I can do sessions with people that are very vivid and, 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 uh, and colorful and, and amazing and, and all kinds of interesting things are happening in the body and they're, they're moving in these different ways. And it feels like, wow, this is incredible. This is going to be a before and after moment in this person's life. And then they leave and maybe kind of, you know, starry eyed and, and we're both just, you know, feeling this sense of inspiration and, and goodness. And then they come back the next week and it's like, it's gone. And I say, Hey, how about that session last week? Huh? And they kind of say, Oh yeah, that was interesting. You know, God, last week was so hard. All of the same stuff is going on. My work is terrible and think I'm not getting along with my partner. You know, it like their life isn't changing. And, uh, and so I really want to, as I'm working with people, be really aware of like, what's actually going on in your life? You know, how are things getting better? How is your relationship to your presenting complaint shifting? You know, when you first came in, you said you were feeling a lot of anxiety. How's that going now? I think it's too easy to, to, to assume that because somebody has a powerful experience in our office, that the work has been a success. In terms of healing trauma, what I usually try to use as a metric is to ask somebody about their trauma. If we have done a good job of renegotiating something, they are going to notice that they hold that experience differently. You know, for, for me, the name of the game is really integration. You know, we've said that in SE, we're moving from a discharge model where the idea seemed to be that as long as you could discharge the energy, that would be liberation from, from trauma to an integration model where it, it's, it's clear that it's not just about the discharge. There needs to be some deeper process. Some people will explain this neurophysiologically as the consolidation of experiences that were too overwhelming for us and got stuck in our uh, implicit memory or our procedural memory system, that getting consolidated into our autobiographical or narrative memory, the memory that we're, that we're aware of. It, it probably does involve that, whether it's reducible to that, I don't know, but there's some process of integration. And often on the other side of that, you know, you'll say, so maybe let's think about, uh, to use a random example, this car accident. And they'll, they'll think about it and they'll realize like, yeah, it feels different. You know, I can think about this in my own experience. There were things that occurred in my life that when I would think about them subsequently, it would feel like it was happening again. My body would go into that same stress response. I would start to feel a quality of, of deep distaste or disgust. And there would be this sense of a big old stress response that started up. 
I might get triggered by things in my environment that reminded me of that event and I would go into that stress response. It was like it was just waiting right there for me. And when it intruded into my awareness, it would feel like it was happening all over again. When I was later able to go through uh, somatic experiencing sessions in which I renegotiated those traumas, I think about them now and it's not like that. And it, the thing that I'm often looking for is a person being able to describe their experience and their relationship to it in a way that's not overly colored by emotion, where I, I think about it and I start to go into, you know, it's, it's like it's happening all over again and I'm, 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 I'm feeling all of this intense stuff and my voice starts to waver and, you know, there's all of this emotion. Or not enough emotion. You know, it is true that there are ways of depotentiating triggers and, uh, you know, like uh, modes of like neuro-linguistic programming where we can end up completely disconnected from our experience. So I think about something and it's like, it just doesn't impact me at all. That's not what we're looking for, I don't think. Um, what, what usually stands out for me as the mark of trauma healed is a person being able to say something like the following. Wow, as I think about that, I remember just how intense that was at the time. And that was really hard. Wow, I, would, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But now that I'm on the other side of it, it's like I can really see that there were ways that 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 I got stronger from that. And, you know, I definitely don't want to go through that again, but, uh, but you know, it's, uh, it is something that happened to me. I don't know, something like that, you know, where it's like, I can connect with the feeling state of it, but I'm not swept up by that feeling state. Does that make sense? It does. But I, I still wanted to know what you mean by renegotiation. Is there a way that you could explain it a little bit? Yeah, I can take a stab at it. Again, you know, it's it's funny to to think about putting this into a little nugget. But the idea of, of being able to renegotiate something or the way that completion is a part of that renegotiation, it it suggests that there's something unfinished in trauma. And you know, we say that we have not been able to integrate the experience. There's there's something, you know, the nervous system doesn't know time. The autonomic nervous system doesn't know time. And I think that, you know, there's a way in which for the nervous system, when we haven't integrated our experience, it's like it's still happening. And there's often something that's incomplete. There's often a self-protective response that didn't get to happen. There's an emotion that wasn't able to be fully felt and processed through. There's like words that I wanted to speak. There's a way that I wanted to advocate for myself that I didn't do. Some part of me told me to run away really early on, but I didn't listen. And, and you know, um, there's there's something that uh, that hasn't been able to be fully felt, fully fully processed. And it's in completing those pieces. It's in giving ourselves often with the supported environment of uh, sessions, where there's somebody there containing the experience and holding space. You know where I, where I have the opportunity to move through uh, those pieces that weren't able to finish. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And I experienced that myself and it's powerful. Yes. Thank you so much for, for talking with us. Is there anything else you want to add before we close that comes to your well, mind? Um, not, uh, you know, not so much. I, I, so just to, just to, you know, for your listeners, uh, just to name that I, I do teach the three-year SE professional training. You know, that's a, a training for um, professionals whose work brings you into contact with traumatized individuals. If you are one of those professionals, uh, do look into uh, the SE training if you're interested. Um, and uh, I, I also am, you know, offering other workshops and things. So, you know, I might just uh, invite people to check out my website, which is my last name, Sylvae, uh, S-Y-L-V-A-E.net. Um, and then additionally, you know, the way that we got connected, Monique, was through the Ergos Institute. You know, Peter, uh, Peter Levine, the originator of somatic experiencing, he has created the Ergos Institute of Somatic Education, which offers master classes for somatic experiencing practitioners who made it through that three-year training. And then additionally, he's involved in a number uh, of different community health um, efforts where uh, we're attempting to bring SE to places where it's needed. So, um, you know, just encourage people to check out those different resources and to get connected, you know, in whatever way is good for them. Yes, I'll put them in the show notes for sure. All nice. right, Joshua, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was fun. Thank you. Yeah.